name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The month of Hatur in the in the Coptic calendar is when um, most of the farmers would now be throwing out their seeds um, for after the New Year's harvest has been over. So we know that because it's the Coptic liturgy, it's based on the Coptic months and the seasons. And so that's why for four weeks, almost straight, you hear about the seeds every single week. Um, it was actually the church trying to make relevant to the people what they were doing and to, and to spiritualize it. Um, of course, in Ontario, we're not planting seeds right now at all. Um, they might be somewhere in Alberta, I don't know, but we're not, we're not here. But we can still take from the cyclical... Um, aspects of the year, some way to meditate on, because the idea behind this again was what you're doing, make it make it spiritual. So last week and also this week we've been talking about the seeds, and I'm not going to go over every kind of, of ground. Um, we know which kind of ground we're supposed to be, or who God wants us to be, um, which is to be the good soil. But the soil of the soul is completely different than the soil of, of the world, right? We know that St. Paul says that those who are born of the Spirit are spiritual and those who are born of the earth are earthly. And so the, spirit, the, the seed that we're trying to throw is a seed that's supposed to be received by the human heart, right? It's not a physical seed. So if we can just talk a little bit about what do we need to do to prepare our hearts to receive the Word? Because we can all be good soil. Even if there are things within us that are in need of cleaning, everybody is capable of, of being the good soil. And the first thing to do, of course, is to remove the obstacles, right? If you look at soil and you're planning to grow some seeds, if you see thistles in it already, it's not a good idea to plant. You're going you're gonna to take out the things that are a hindrance. I'm not a gardener. I don't know all of the kinds of hindrances that there are, but I know that there's got to be some things that are obvious that you don't want to be around. Spiritually speaking, though, we have a lot of obstacles to hearing the Word of God. And these are the things that we need to work on if we want to be able to hear God clearly. The first of these is, is the will, the human will, which is something that obviously exists in all of us. I'm not saying do not own a will, but it's to lay down your will. right? It's to say this might not feel comfortable, but I'll accept it. Or I might not think this is the most is the is the best idea, but I'll try it. Right? For example, Christ says turn the other cheek. Sometimes you might not really want to do that. Right? Sometimes your natural will would be to say, well, actually, I care more about my dignity. Right? Or maybe I don't want to compromise with somebody because it means I become lesser. But laying down our will is one of, if not the most important aspect of receiving the Word of God. Because a person who is deaf to anyone but him or herself is going to have no ability to understand or work with somebody else until their will has been removed. And this means working on your thoughts and your preconceptions about things. Many of us have a preconceived idea of what anything is. Right, where we have our own views of, oh, I know if I talk to so-and-so, I know what he's going to say. I know if I speak to her, I know what she's going to say. I know if I go talk to Abuna, he's going to say the Christian response is this. 
So then there's two questions. One is, are you right in your notion of what was going to be said? You might not be right. Maybe that isn't what was going to be said. And two, if you are right in terms of what you expected, could could you be wrong in terms of what you thought, in terms of your way of thinking? Right? So maybe your expectation of the answer was right, but you are in need of that answer because it's the right answer. But we have to be able to have that humility to lay down our thoughts and our wills if we want to be able to understand, and our objections, and our aversion to work, and our aversion to other people's thoughts and opinions, and our addictions. These are often the most fundamental barriers to us in our growth with God. Right, is not wanting to stop something. Right, it's some kind of thing we're not willing to give up. It might be a thought, and it might be a behavior. Sometimes it's I know that I'm going to have to give up this addiction that I have, whether it's to TV or smoking or to wealth or to promotions or to your career, whatever it is, is that we have our own addictions. Every one of us has our addictions, and even many of us sometimes will avoid confession for a long time because we know. It means I have to start trying again. Right? I have to start trying not to do that thing again, and it's it's uh, a beloved sin uh, that we don't want to get rid of. If we don't get rid of our will and all of its manifestations, you're gonna find it very, very, very hard to interact with God. And because of it, you won't see the seed growing, and because of it, you might not ever see the fruit. Right? But then you might be upset that you're not seeing the fruit and not recognize. Why it is. There's a famous person in the history of the church who did this. Um, Blessed Augustine, um, who is a beautiful image of repentance, actually captures the modern human soul very well. For those of you who have read his confessions, it's a, it's a good thing to read. Blessed Augustine intentionally avoided the church for decades. He wasn't ready yet. Right? I'm not encouraging us to do that. I'm saying it's good that he repented. What I'm saying is he was very honest about saying, I knew I was wrong, but I didn't want to be wrong because I enjoyed it. And so I decided to keep doing what I was doing until he says at one point, our hearts are restless until we find you, O God. Right? And that he, in spite of whatever joy he thought he would get from the world, the heart was still restless looking for God. We must remove first the obstacles in order to even receive the word of God. The second thing is that once the seed has been sown, is that it has to be nurtured actively, right? We're not cactuses, right? We're not we're not the plants that you can just leave in the desert and, and not do anything to, and enough things are going to happen to it. The spiritual life, the seed, requires active effort towards growth. And this is spiritual life, right? This is the way that we do it. People don't realize that the spirit is a thing. We talk about the spirit sometimes as though it's just this kind of fluffy concept that we have of things that are that are emotional, right? Or things that are not physical and, and tangible. But the spirit is a real thing within us that God gave us, that he gave only humans. And it requires growth in the same way that their human body requires growth. Right? If you were to not feed your child, your child will die. Right? If you don't nurture your child, your child will be ill. If you don't nurture your spirit, your spirit will be ill. And when you're ill, you don't grow, or worse, you could die. But we don't tend to think about things as gravely when it comes to our spiritual lives. But we have to put an active effort into this. 
we have to be in communication with the vine dresser, the one who planted us. Right? This is what prayer is. Right? It's to be in dialogue with, with the very one who made us and to realize that we've even been granted a gift that we're able to do that. Right? There's, there are religions that, that are called deists where God is uninterested in his creation. Right? We have a God who is not only interested and invested, okay, but wants us to interact with him and gave us a gift of prayer. We need prayer. Right? It's not us doing God a service when we pray. Right? It's not that we come and be like, oh, I'll give you some of my time. Right? It's, it's actually us saying, thank you for allowing me to approach you. Right? Imagine if you had full access to the Prime Minister or to the Queen as a gift, and the only time you ever call is to say you want the sidewalk fixed. Right? This is often how we interact with God. Right? Or help me with my exam. Please make the light turn green. Right? We have very petty conversations with God. The, the beautiful thing is that He doesn't mind it. Right? He, he accepts it from us. But have we thought about what, how deep of a gift it is that the author of the universe says, come talk to me anytime, and I'm listening. There has to be dialogue. There has to be love. This is, this is the way of spiritual nurturing. Without acts of love, the Holy Spirit does not grow within us. The Holy Spirit grows within us when we keep His commandments, and His commandment is to love God above all and your neighbor as yourself. And so when we do acts towards people, acts of love, you find the Holy Spirit growing within you. You'll, you'll probably have noticed that when you have done good deeds, I don't mean this in an egotistical way, you tend to probably feel happy. right? Not many people feel angry when they fed the homeless. Not many people are really internally enraged right? if they gave money to somebody begging at the corner. Not many people are absolutely gushing with fury when they visit someone in the hospital or go visit somebody who's ill or go to their house when somebody is struggling or mourning. You feel joyous, you feel comforted. And that is because the Holy Spirit has done something within you. You are doing something in the name of God. You are drawn closer to God himself. And these are the ways in which we grow because these are the ways in which we, we are able to encounter God directly. Because, as he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it to me. And so when we do it, we draw closer to him, and it's not an accident. It's not just an emotional thing. There's a growth that's going on. Nurturing also requires knowledge, right? Nurturing requires reading, and especially the Bible. Not only the Bible, but especially the Bible. Because how can you know how to plant how can you know how to sow? How can you do anything without knowledge? Nobody comes out of the womb a gardener. right? They come out and somebody has to teach them. And so we draw our knowledge too, the spiritual growth, from who our God is. right? The Bible is the testimony given to us of God's relationship with humanity throughout the ages. right? It's seeing what were all the interactions that we've recorded of how people interact with God, both positive and negative. right? They're not all positive. Some saying, here's how we really messed up. Here's where we really made mistakes. But these are the ways that we draw the knowledge of how to do it. Spiritual reading as well. 
right? Spiritual reading is getting artistic with your plant, right? There's a person who just takes your plant and you add the water, but there's those people, I'm not one of them, who knows all the nitrogen levels and, and those other things, and they know what kind of soil to get, and they'll be able to diagnose very quickly why this plant is not growing, right? This is what spiritual reading does. This is why Isaac of Nineveh wrote, prayer, or spiritual reading gives intellect to prayer, right? That's actually a quote Pope Crudelus used to like to quote a lot is that adding the spiritual reading is getting a deep insight from the specialists, right? Of saying these people who have invested beyond the day-to-day and said, I want to actually go as deep as I can. What do they have to offer? What is it that they can teach me that I can know? Added to this is the mysteries and the sacraments. This is the source of life itself. This is the watering of the plant. Without sacramental life, then you're missing a huge component of growth, right? Because these are things that our Lord instituted for us, right? They're physical manifestations, as we say, of an invisible grace. But there's something happening. There is a grace there, right? That there's something real that occurs when you consume his body and his blood. And he said when you consume it, it's life-giving. And he said, and if you don't eat it, you don't have life in you, right? These are the sources of life. And he says, unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot come to me. These aren't maybes, they're not hypotheticals, they're things that, that, that he said, right? And so our active participation in the life, the sacramental life of the church, is absolutely necessary for your spiritual growth. And cutting off from it does affect you. I don't know how many of you have noticed, if you haven't taken Eucharist for a while, that your spiritual life changes, right? It does change, where you, you'll, you'll feel colder. Or how many have noticed when you're unplugged from any kind of spiritual nourishment that it affects you? You might find that your patience becomes less, your kindness becomes less, and many things will become less because you're not plugged into the source. You are getting ill, right? And all of us, when we get ill, tend to be more impatient, tend to be more testy, right? It's something that is natural. The third thing, other than after, after nurturing it is maintaining it with patience this is where many of us fall right is that we think that the minute you've watered the plant it's supposed to be producing fruit the next day right the first time that i tried planting an orange seed i thought that i was going to have oranges within a year and had no clue that was not even remotely likely right but we tend to do this with our spiritual lives right that we think add the water, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have a springing plant, right, going in, in my house that I'm going to be potting the next day. I'm going to read one of the stories from the Desert Fathers that really, I think, speaks volumes about, about our generation. An old man used to say, we do not advance because we do not know our capacity. And we have not sufficient patience in the work which we begin. And we wish to possess spiritual excellence without working for it. And we go from place to place and expect to find some spot where Satan is not. And when we see the temptation of Satan in that place, whereunto we have been called, he who knows what the war is will remain in God, for the kingdom of heaven is within you. Right. So what he's saying is that we are people who want virtue without work, and sometimes God sends us to a place, and then we see the devil working there, and we say, no, I want to go where the devil isn't. And, and that's not how it works, 
right? It works by struggling. It doesn't work by saying, oh, I hope to grow in a vacuum, right? It doesn't mean that you're going to grow without any kind of, of work. And this really is how most of us are, right? Is being like, this isn't the place where I thought it would be. Church is not a place that should be looked like this, right? Work isn't a place that shouldn't. My family's not. This is not. And we have all sorts of things. And it's not to say that people aren't making errors. They are making errors, right? I'm not justifying any wrongs. But the calling for us is to struggle and to strive and to find a way to live the gospel wherever we are called, which is not easy and is not something that gets fixed in a night or a day. Right? We are not going to see the fruit of labor overnight. It's something that requires the work of all for long periods. These are the thorns and thistles that need to be removed. These are the passions. Because my reaction to things are indicative of the passions that are within me. Other people's vices and virtues are going to bring out from me my vices and virtues too. If somebody is angry, it's either going to bring out patience from me or it's going to bring out my anger. If somebody is selfish, it's either going to bring out my generosity or it's going to bring out my selfishness. And the aim for us is to pull out the vices. Is that if you discover that your response is not generosity, that's okay. But now you know that you need to work on generosity. right? If you find out that your response is not patience, it means that you have to work on patience. I've told this story many times, but I'll say it again. It makes me look bad, but it's okay. When I was a novice um, at St. Anthony's in, in California, um, a monk came and told me off for something that I felt totally was unjustified. And I went to confess, and I told the confessor, um, you know, I didn't tell him who, a monk came and told me off, and I answered him right. I said, I've sinned, I bowed my head, I beat my chest, and I, and I smiled in reverence and all of that. But on the inside, my response was, you suck, you're a horrible monk, and here you are trying to tell me what you think I'm doing wrong when your behavior is totally unacceptable. And I went off, but all of it was on the inside. On the outside, it was just, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And so he laughed at me, I called a confession at the time, and said, good, you found out you are not patient. <laughs> you thought you were patient, you are definitely not. Why, because you sit in your cell, you read when you want to read, you pray when you want to pray, you think when you want to think, you're not living sacrificially. So you had no opportunity for your impatience to be shown. Now your impatience has been shown. Now you have to work for patience. Right? It became an opportunity for growth. These are the ways that we grow. We are all going to have negative responses. It's just not okay for us to say, this is who I am. Right? You can say, this is who I am right now, and I am striving to be made perfect in Christ in whatever way is potentially possible for me. We don't have to worry about what the fruit is, but I have to care to move past it. I can't just accept where I'm at and say, well, this is what I can handle. Maybe there's exceptions to that, but that would need guidance. We need to become, as, as Father Lazarus in Egypt always says, athletes for Christ. Right? We need to be people who are willing to actually put in time and effort into the training, to keep our body under subjection, 
right? Not to submit to every lust of the flesh, whatever it is. Don't get choked, right? Where your heart is, there your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your there your heart is. You might forget. You might forget this, right? These are the things that we need to have um, in in our minds. As our Lord says, he who is encompassed by the cares of this life and bound by earthly bonds is choked and becomes unfruitful, he says. It's something that was capable of fruit, but when choked by earthly desires, is no longer able to produce fruit because of it. We need to make sure our intentions are healthy. We need to be aware of the diseases that rule us. Right, or the sins that rule us. Because the disease of a particular sin can actually kill the whole plant. Right? So we need to be vigilant, right, of signs of infection. Right? This is why we get spiritual checkups, right? This is why we have spiritual guidance. Is to have a third party that's able to observe you, right? Because you become accustomed to your condition. Right? But we need this person outside saying, You're getting a little lazy. Right? Or you've gotten a little looser with your tongue. Right? Or you seem to be less zealous, used to care more. Why don't you care about people as much? Right? We need these checkups. We need exposure. We need to make sure that we're reaching sunlight and repositioning ourselves if we're not. Because sometimes we get swallowed up in the routines of life that we don't realize winter has come and the, the positioning of that plant is no longer getting enough sunlight. Something has changed exteriorly that requires an interior change. That happens to us spiritually. Sometimes our life situations have changed. We've had a kid, we've gotten married, we've had a bad breakup, we're having struggles at work. Something is toxic wherever I'm, I'm at, and it affects me. I now have to reconsider where am I positioning myself to make sure that I still spiritually grow in this environment that has changed. Because sometimes it's me that has to change to respond to it, and sometimes it's the outside that needs fixing, but we need to do our due diligence at least for ourselves. We also need to protect it from intruders, right? If you have a plant outside, right, making sure that the animals and the insects are not taking over so that it kills them, right? We also need to be vigilant spiritually that we're not setting ourselves up for vulnerability, right? If This means knowing your weaknesses, right? Many of us confuse humility for self-hatred. Humility is not self-hatred. Humility is self-knowledge, right? It is knowing who you are. And that includes knowing your weaknesses and that doesn't make you dislike yourself. It's understanding that I have weaknesses and so I have to be cautious because of it, right? If I know that I have a very, very fragile arm, I'm not going to go play baseball with that arm. It's not a good idea for me. And it's not because I'm a bad person because I can't play baseball. Because I can't, right? It's understanding what I can or can't do. If there are solutions to fixing my arm, I should take them, right? If there are exercises I can do to strengthen my arm, I should take them. But in the meantime, if I am not able to do it, then I shouldn't. I need to know that about myself spiritually, of not saying, I can handle this. There are sins that we can't handle just because of our nature that maybe other people can. There are some people who can handle a situation without sinning, and there are some of us that can't be in the same one and not sin. We need to be aware of ourselves. Final thing is not being afraid of 
the second last thing I like, not being afraid of falling. Okay, is that we have sometimes a spiritual paralysis where we're so petrified of what could happen. And the reality is you are you're going to fall. I, I would be monumentally surprised if no one in this room has, has been able to be unblemished of sin their whole entire life. Every single one of us falls and will fall and will fall again. And there's two stories in the Desert Fathers that I really like for this. I'll summarize the first one because it's long. Is There's a certain monk who fell into fornication, which is, in the minds of most, the absolute worst thing that a person could fall in, especially for a monk. And he was so upset and so distressed that he did that he fled the desert. He packed his bags in the middle of the night and he said, I'm not worthy to live, I'm not worthy of the brethren, I'm not worthy of the community, I'm not worthy of God, woe betides me. And it literally says he walked around saying, woe is me, woe is me, all night long, um, screaming and wailing at the top of his lungs until he was in some desert where a, a, a solitary hermit heard him and came running out and said, what is wrong with you? Did someone die? Um, and he was like, oh, woe is me, I am filthy, I am scum, I am the worst in the world, for I have fallen and, and there is no hope for me. And the, the hermit goes, what did you do? Did you steal? And he's like, no. And he goes, I committed fornication. He goes, oh, thank God. He goes, just that? No problem. He goes, I thought maybe you robbed the monastery because it would be very evil of you to take the wealth of the brethren that they need to survive because you'd have done a deep, grave sin against everybody around you and against God. And the monk is just playing it down. He's not saying, you know, it's, it's a good thing you fornicated, right? But his point was to say, well, there are bigger sins that aren't just against yourself, they're against others. And he's like, well, if that's all you did, thank God, don't worry about it. Why don't you just pray and also be assured that God forgives you, right? Your repentance is, is accepted before God. And the monk took comfort and completely built a whole different life that was extremely successful. Right? I mean, we're not all monks, but the point is to say that this wasn't as big of a deal. But there's another story that encapsulates things of a monk who goes to his elder. And I, I go to the monks a lot because the monks give us the specializations in spiritual life. And says, you know, I've fallen. And he's actually with Abba Shishoi, the disciple of St. Anthony the Great. A brother asked him, saying, what shall I do, Father? For I have fallen. The old man said, get up. And the brother said to him, I did get up, but I fell again. So the old man said to him, get up again. The brother said to him, I did get up many times, and I fell again. The old man said, get up again. And the brother said to him, until when? And the old man said to him, until you advance, either in good deeds or in falling. Just keep getting up. Right? And that's what we need to do with our plans. If you want to hear the word, just keep getting up. Right? You're going to learn something either from your falling or from your getting up. You just don't stop. Right? You will be found acceptable before God, whether it was in the process of getting up or whether it was standing. Just don't lie down. Right? That's the only thing that we don't do. Finally, is to rejoice in the plants. Okay? Because the plant is beautiful. The plant brings forth fruit, and the fruit is nice, right? And our Lord allows us to enjoy it. We sometimes have a disposition towards spiritual life that I'm, it's wrong to rejoice in these things. 
we're not, we don't have a God who said, I want you to work so hard and be miserable, and I don't want you to ever smile. He says, no, thank you for working with me, and the crop is yours to eat from it. I'm not worried about how many, just I want you to work with me. The work was not in vain. There's fruits. And the fruit is delicious and brings nutrients, and it brings life to others. And as you grow in taking care of your own plants, you will learn how to care for others. You'll be a worker in the vineyard, and you will discover that, as our Lord said, the labor is worthy of his hire. May the Lord look down and visit this vine which his right hand has planted, that it may bring forth fruit in abundance to the glory of his name, now and always, in the age of all ages. Amen. Oh, nee.